Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Ann Seton is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoyed them. Thank you. Okay, so today we're going to do William McGee Seton. So if you listen every week, you probably already know that we've done one on William McGee and Elizabeth together, starting with kind of their courtship and their marriage all the way through his death. So that's, uh, that's episode 12. Episode 12. We did release it last year, but if you go to our website, Friends and Followers, and you scroll down, um, it is there. I think it's titled... I'll look it up. <laughs> I think it's titled William E. Seaton, colon mark, and unfortunately I can't read the rest of it. <laughs> but it does say episode 12. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and, and that was important to do, I think, last year to really talk about um, their courtship, their marriage, and, and how strong they were as a married unit. But mm-hmm. um, so this time of year, end of January, January 25th, which is their anniversary, really through Valentine's Day, we're, we're really promoting that love yeah. story because um, yeah. it was more than just an infatuation and a love. They were, they were a team mm-hmm. with their family through sickness, through bankruptcy, through his death mm-hmm. and her getting him to heaven. Right. You, know, you really see all of that. But um, well, we have, um, I have noticed that Carolyn, who's our communication coordinator here at the Shrine, she has been doing a lot more posts on um, the whole love story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have the artifacts of the wedding portraits that they gifted to each other. Um, so it's kind of neat. But yeah. so you're saying we're going to cover William McKee on a little bit more of his early years. Early like, years who that. was he? And why did she have this attraction to him and so yesterday first off this year is 228 years since their wedding so that's kind of a a big one yeah (laughs) i know it's so funny 228 years um but um and i think we'll see as we talk his his timeline isn't so set in stone i mean but what is important is to see where i think you and i are on the same page as this where we see god's plan in using him to get Elizabeth to where he wanted her to be. Unbeknownst to William McKee, Elizabeth, right. and even the Felicis. Right. He was just living his life. And, yeah. and but hindsight. You yeah, know, you hindsight. can look back and see. Yeah, we were kind of talking that a little bit earlier today about just in hindsight, when you look back into your life and you really take a look at all the life event that happened to you whatever that path is does it lead you to this moment are they responsible for leading you to this moment right and how god has prepared you for this moment and and a lot of times it's the bad things that he's kind of tried to put things in place Mm -hmm. to get you to where you where he wants you to be okay so before you start sharing about the early years i guess my question for you lisa is um i've always been wondering about this so i don't know if you found the answer or if this can shed any light or maybe i'm jumping ahead so feel free to stop <laughs> me but do you feel that by the end of elizabeth and Seaton's life that she was able to take that moment to reflect on her entire course and almost thank her own husband for getting her to where she was 
the baby um so there's nothing that i found where she specifically writes about that but i think in her other reflections and and like the feliki family and knowing how important they were to not only her faith what was happening with her but as the family and being able to she would mention back when my husband was with you or and these things like that and the people that they ended up putting her in contact with all came through her husband i mean the kind of person she was i can't imagine she did not see that connection yeah i mean yeah. we all see it yeah we all um, see the it the more that we learn about her and read about her especially right. with the upcoming new galleries of new right. exhibit where we're like kind of going through fine tooth and comb on Elizabethan seat and making sure we have all the information right that we're discovering new things too like you can learn right. new things every day so we're learning new everything things every day and what I find very enticing is that of how William McGee's early years was also super instrumental mm -hmm. or providential or pivotal to Elizabeth leading a consecrated life within the Catholic Church. Yeah oh absolutely it was I mean he he led her there. He also led her to, yeah, consecrate life. Like you're saying, the kind of sister that God wanted her to be came through the people in her life. And that is what's so great. That's going to be great about our new museum. That's great about this podcast. All the things Carolyn's posting is that we are making this story more full. Mm -hmm. And you can see how God put people in her life to prepare her, in Catherine's life to prepare her. Like you mm -hmm. can, you can see... Um, and then hopefully you reflect that in your own life and think, am I, do I have my eyes wide open to what, where God's trying to push me to be, yeah. you know, and that's, yeah. that's just one of what thousands of things that we use Elizabeth mm -hmm. for as an example of right. someone that helps us along the way. And that's what I love about doing this podcast is that we're learning about these people that shaped her mm -hmm. to be who God wanted her to be. Yeah. So let's get started with William. So okay. William McGee. We like saying that around here, William oh, McGee. Really? <laughs> I mean, you, you always have to pair it, William McGee. And I think right. he almost did from time to time, even though she had a specific nickname for him. But. Yeah, because he was known as William McGee his whole life. It's it's To separate him from his, his father. father. His father right. was William Seaton. And right. William McGee also was separated from his firstborn son. Right. Who was named William Seaton the second. Right. We don't know what his middle name is. Right. right. Yes. William E. Right. How because oftentimes people will shorten the first name of the father and use the longer name mm -hmm. if their son's named after him. So it was interesting that they would always call him by his first and middle name. So he just It's so easy to say though. Yeah. And it just sounds so um I don't know, just enriching. Like he just somebody you want to look to. Like he's yeah. a prominent figure. Yeah. Very class, yeah. <laughs> classy. And of yeah. course, you know, as Catherine O'Donnell said, or with a sister Regina, that you know, he was very charming and handsome. Right. And yeah, that's witty. what everybody that knew him yeah, said, you know, know, and wrote letters. So okay. so first so off <laughs> he's born in seventeen sixty eight, so he was six years older than Elizabeth. Um, and he was born aboard ship. So his family was coming back from England, back to New York when he was born. So to kind of put that in perspective, William Seaton, the father, was born in England. He was, his whole family was in England. So his, his mother was still living and was in England. And, and his sisters never left England. So 
he still had this allegiance to England, to parts of Europe. And so they probably after their marriage had left New York to go to England and now they're on their way back. And she's very pregnant and she ends up giving birth to William McGee aboard ship. So right away we start with this really interesting life yeah. <laughs> right away. And it was funny because his grandson, like, you know, says that he is born at 435 on April 20th. And so to have that specific of a time is unusual, but I don't know when you're on a board of a ship, but maybe because they were aboard a ship. I don't know. Maybe they're better about it. Um, and um, he, his godfather is a man named William McGee from London. And he, they think that he was friends with the father, William Seton, but also the grandfather, John Seton who they said was a very generous man and would um, lend money to people all the time. And most likely this man, William McGee, owed money to the grandfather, John. But he was a very wealthy man. He was married with no children. Um, and so they gave uh, him this honor of being the godfather of William McGee Seton and taking his name. Um, we don't really hear anything else about him except that when he died, he leaves um, William McGee a thousand pounds, which today is the equivalent of about $30,000. So we don't know when that happened. I, I tried to find when this man died, but I couldn't find anything. So, um, but so now, I, now I understand where he got the name McGee from. Cause right. it's sort of, when you look at the whole family, where did McGee, like it sounded right. like a last name versus really a true middle. Right. Name, which so. it was. And, and they are, the Seatons are a typical family of, renaming people after people a lot of people did that then i think there's this irish thing where the firstborn son gets named after the father the secondborn son gets named after the mother's father so you can see that which is great for ancestry except when you end up having lots of marys or williams in a family mm -hmm. in fact this was the first time i noticed that william mcgee's brother james married mary hoffman mary hoffman's brother martin Mary's Mary Seton, so she now is Mary Hoffman as well, and so. And we're significant about Hoffman. Well, if they were just business partners of James okay. Seton, but the thing is, there's references to Mary Hoffman, but now you have to know which Mary Hoffman they're talking about because Elizabeth talks about both. Oh. And I was like, oh. You got confused. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Right. Okay. So one of them was James's wife, who Cecilia Seaton's living with and passes away after giving birth to her eighth, eighth child. So anyway, okay. different, so, different podcast. So knowing, you know, again, they had the means to travel. Right. Um, he obviously seemed to have a wealthy godfather who then gifted him something equivalent of $30,000 today. Mm -hmm. um, so they are really a prominent New York mm -hmm. family. Right. And you it know, also explains connections. why William seat and the father was a loyalist okay. why he still had this allegiance to england mm -hmm. and he sends william mcgee back to england at 10 to go to school okay. and he as far as i can tell he does not come home for at least six years that he's traveling um in within europe he's staying at different aunt's houses he's staying at his grandmother's house okay. he's not coming back so what's interesting though if you look at the year that's around the time of the declaration of independence right so <laughs> okay so yeah so william mcgee is in england essentially for the whole war pretty much okay getting an education yeah and um and he even writes a letter to his grandmother um, 
who was in England in 1782. So right at the end of the American Revolution. And he's talking about his uncle and he said, Mr. Mann, he says, Mr. Mann was so good as to take me to see the House of Lords where I saw the king sitting upon the throne with a crown on his head. And I saw the Lords dressed in their robes. So what I think is interesting about that is, you know, he's now, you know, what, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. This whole big thing is just happening here in the United States. And he's just thrilled to be able to go to Parliament and see the king and, and all of that. And I did think it was funny. He goes on to say... All the other lords were dressed in fine robes and there was bishops and the bishop of Gloucester read prayers a little before the king came in. At first, it made me think that I was in church, but then he was relieved to find out that he was now meeting, like going to be in front of the king. And I, that's, it just made me think of like this boy sitting in church that doesn't want to be in church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I find everything else to be distracted with. Right. And it really also shows you where he was as an adult man. Like he saw church as a duty, as something that you you did because did. you were supposed to do it. Yeah. You know, and and he so he's right away starting with that. Um I it, find it interesting though that during his formative years, um it sounds to me the seat did, did not have any conflict though with England. Yeah. No. They, no, they, they did were not. American, but they had ties back into England. He got yeah. educated there. He was able to get an education that the the Revolutionary War didn't really seem to impact him too much. Or am it, I it didn't affect them in England. It affected them here. And I didn't realize until I was doing research for this that the father, William Seaton, had come to the United States with his brother and actually started a business in New Jersey. Um, and being a loyalist, he lost pretty much everything during the American Revolution and kind of had to start rebuilding. Now, what does everything mean for people that are really wealthy? Sometimes we've seen that that doesn't mean a lot that they have some inconveniences but they can still keep all their hired help they can still keep their homes and their kids still go away to school and things like that so what did that mean i'm not really sure but we do know then that's when william seaton the father takes a job at the bank that's where he's meeting alexander hamilton and working with him and then i didn't realize that when the bank moves william seaton takes that opportunity to use that building that the bank was in to become his home and business which is became the Steetland Maitland Maitland, yeah, yeah. Sorry, merchant shipping company. Yeah. So this is all kind of happening. So this is where the timeline starts to get a little skewed. There's some resources that say in 1784, when he's 16, he leaves school and travels for several years. Some say that he came home and then went back. Um, and um, so we don't really know. Um, so, um, when he did travel, he traveled to Holland, France, Italy, and Spain. So this, he's young, he's somewhere between 16 and 18 and he's traveling. So at this point we know he hasn't met Elizabeth, right? No. So we know at this point they have not met. Um, what I well, found. How could they when they're traveling everywhere? Right. And, and here Elizabeth was what, six years younger, so she's only 10. So she's right. probably, you know, dealing with her own household. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then a complex of which she's being sent to the sound and living with her 
uncle for the summer because her father just away. Right. So her father is in England. But what's interesting, it, it dawned on me that Elizabeth, until she went to Baltimore, um, except for going to Italy, she had never left New York. Like, yeah. not even to go to That's states. But she really, she probably didn't really travel until she was married. Right. When she went to Italy. When, that's probably the first time she ever went to Italy. That's the first time she went out of the state. Wow. Okay, <laughs> she didn't. Ahead, so sorry. Um, sorry. Yeah, it was just kind of one of those realizations. I was like, okay. Um, so, but anyway. So is it during this time that William Mickey was really also being groomed for the merchant life with all his travels? Um, or did he develop other interests that... Could yeah. have dissuade him otherwise. He does develop other interests. I mean, his grandmother writes that he's a good boy with a good heart, and that maybe as he gets older, his manners will get better, his attention to education will get better. So he is someone who likes to have a good time. <laughs> he likes to have fun. He likes to enjoy the good things in life. And so what is interesting is when he um he gets very devoted to poetry and music. Now his grandson, Robert Seaton, writes about this journal that he kept that's so interesting to read. I don't know where that is. I'm thinking maybe Notre Dame has it, but um, he's very interested. He gets interested in cooking. He gets interested in the arts, opera, music, poetry. So these are the things that are really interesting him. And we do know that he visits um, uh, Cremola, I think it's called, in Italy, which is where the three top violin makers were housed. And that's when he gets the, the violin that he supposedly brings back. So I'm thinking that he could have done that earlier instead of we were thinking later when he did an internship for the Felikis, but it's very possible he did it as young as 16, 17 mm -hmm. and gotten that violin. And then when he comes back at some point, he does become involved in this group. Um, the Colombian Anacreonic Society, which were these musicians, top musicians in New York City. His brother Henry belonged to it. His cousin Charles belonged to it. James Maitland belonged to it. And they played music and they supposedly played at George Washington's funeral. Um, so he, I never, I knew he liked music and would go to the opera, but he apparently played extremely well. So he was very involved in the arts and yeah. he probably, if he had the opportunity, would have sponsored the arts well, in pretty yeah. well, prestigious to his ways. grandson, he was thinking about becoming a musician. Like that's what he wanted to do for, for, for a living. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we, you started mentioning the Felikis. Now we had mentioned the Felikis before that they were business associates mm -hmm. of William Mickey Seaton, or really the Merchant Company, but they were also friends. So do you, have you been able to find exactly when they met? How do they become friends? How do they start so, their journey together? I think how they met was, and I and I saw, I didn't realize this either. So when William McGee comes back at 18, he starts working not only at the bank for his father, but also at the shipping business. And there's there was this comment made that him and his brother James were down at the ports and I guess if you were uh, Catholic, you couldn't 
send things back and forth on certain ships. You were given specific ships that you could send things on, specific ports that your ships could come into. Well, the Setons didn't abide by that. They, they let Catholics use their ships and use their ports. So, so they make a comment, William makes a comment about being down there at the docks, you know, when these Catholic ships come in. And I think that that's what made the Seton house so appealing to the Felikis. And so that's when you first start really hearing um, about the older brother, Filippo, Felica. Fleeky. He was very involved with the Catholic Church. He certainly had an agenda to try to bring, I guess, catechism to the United States, keeping, you know, helping to develop the Catholic Church within the United States. Um, right, especially after the American Revolution and really spreading yeah. that. So when William's complaining at 18 of his chest hurting and all of that, mm-hmm. um, Filippo's like, come to Italy. Like, Italy will be much better for you to come to and and the oh, air nice. is better and and all of that so oh, okay. um wow so, i did not know that so he his first complaint really kind of started coming up when he was 18 years old yes yeah. now mind you the reason why i'm pointing that age out is because when i always say in my presentation here oh william mcgee and elizabeth ann bailey they met when he was 25 and she was 19. So, but if his complainant started at 18, he's already been dealing seven years. By the time he even met with Elizabeth, right. he's seven years in. Right, right. For better lack of words. Sorry. Right, and some say yeah. that when he went back to Italy, it was either 1786 or 1788. So we're talking for him, it's somewhere between the ages of 18 and 20. So now Elizabeth at this point is 12 to 14. And we... We had thought, like, how would Elizabeth have met him? Her whole world was full of doctors. In her father's world, when he was around, it was. But her uncle, William, was a merchant. So her time living with her uncle would have been in the world of merchants. So is there a window of opportunity here when she's 12 to 14 years old that they might have known of or each came, other or, or seen each other right or something right interesting. yeah because you have to think about it i think that at 14 elizabeth certainly anything we read her 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 um eyes for better luck of words is not set on marriage in fact it was during that time where she really was looking for her father right. and understanding who her father really was right of which she had the epiphany that right. God was her father and will right. always be her father. Yeah. Her biological father, her earthly father, you know. I, I think she found peace that he's just not going to be the father that she had wanted on right. earth, right? I feel like, and that yeah. she has some acceptance with that. Now, that's not to say she didn't continue to work on having a relationship with her father. Right. And so between 14 and 18 is when Elizabeth talks about not having a home. Right. And she's going between her sister's house, Mary Post, Mary and her husband Wright Post. He's a doctor. Mm-hmm. But she's also spending time at her aunt's house, Mary Dugan, who's married to Thomas Dugan, whose father had been the governor of New York. They have this huge property on Staten Island. He's a merchant. So part of that time between 14 and 18, she's also in the world of merchants so 
when they exactly met, we don't know. We know that William now goes back. He goes back to Italy on December um, 28th. We know he's in Italy. He's writing a letter to his brother, James. He's describing his work as an intern there. Mm -hmm. But he's also talking about um, the museums, the theaters, the concert halls. He's talking about how he wants to understand cooking and he wants to learn how to cook. He also makes a comment where he says, beauty is so predominant in this country that if one did not shut their eyes, as I do, when they meet an Italian lady, it would be impossible not to fall in love. So <laughs> that's funny. That's why morning, you know, he's eighteen. He's probably kind of he's a young man, and generally <laughs> during that time, it was kind of more pushed that you consider marriage. You start studying right. what your life is going to be. You need to find a wife. He's the he oldest children, son. He's the oldest son. You know, so. I always wondered about that because I felt like, God, you married at 25. That's kind of late. That's kind of old. It's right. the same thing like with the young ladies. Like if they were married at 25, they were, or weren't married by a certain age, they were considered old hags and that was potentially going to be their life. Right. Never going to get married. Right. So being a guy right? was different. Being from the family that he came from, it was different. He didn't have those pressures to feel like I need to be successful. I need to have a job. I, you know, he... He had a very comfortable life. Like even his stepmother, like look, compare the two stepmothers, like mm -hmm. his stepmother, he adored. Yeah. I mean, he named his daughter after her. So um, his life was a little bit different. <laughs> um, we know in 1789 that Bishop Carroll, um, through talking with the Felikis, he's talking about this embargo that's now going on. He's not getting any information out of Rome. Uh, he doesn't want to do. He's trying to set up not only one church, he's trying to set well, up. He's trying to establish <laughs> the Catholic Church with the United States. Right. So many now, churches, many yeah. dioceses, and he's not getting any information from Rome. Mm -hmm. So um, Filippo says, well, I'll go to Rome and see what I can do. And he takes William with him. And William volunteers his father's shipping business as a way to get those letters back and forth. So now you're seeing the letters coming from Rome to New York and down to Baltimore. And yeah. so the family... We know from Bishop Carroll, he was aware of who William was. He was aware of their marriage. He was aware of Elizabeth. Well, that all came from William McGee. William McGee. Could he met William McGee prior to Elizabeth? Again, with the Beliki, prominent Catholic family in Italy, establishing connection, meeting Bishop Carroll, first Archbishop of the United States, of which we you know, identified that in our last podcast. Right. right. So this is my um, question. Um, well, not really a question. It is a question. Sorry. <laughs> I guess it is a question, but it's not really a question meant for an answer. So it's it's funny how, you know, here is William really starting to see the Catholic Church, witness the practicing faith, but he doesn't seem to be having an opinion about anything. And I think even if I'm correct, I thought the Beliki was sort of trying to see if they could get him to convert. Well, knowing what we know of them, I'm sure they were. Yeah. Um, he, I don't think he thought one way or another. Yeah. I don't yeah. think he thought that about his own faith. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it just, I don't think it meant that much to him. I think, again, like we said at the beginning, I think he, he saw like church duty. as a duty. Then he something. It was a duty he didn't want to do. Yeah. And I, and I think we see that all the way up until he's in the Lazaretto with Elizabeth. 
I think in those last moments of his life, last days of his life is where she really is able to show him, you need to make this connection and fast. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But so, going back, the, so, the influence of the Feliki and the you know transporting correspondences and whatever between Rome and Baltimore, but it had no bearings on William McKee. Right. Other than that, he is familiar with these individuals. He's familiar with their stance. He's familiar with how prominent they are. It's just as much that they are familiar with who he is now. Right. And he liked them. I mean, I think he liked all of them. And I, I think, and yeah, I I think, think they were for, all friends. Yeah, I think for Elizabeth, that was then comforting. It makes me wonder if that's why she felt so comfortable writing to Bishop Carroll, because her husband had this relationship with him. You know, yeah, interesting. so by the summer of 1790, William is back in New York. Elizabeth is 16. So at 16, she would have been presented to society. Mm -hmm. She would have been old enough to attend balls. She would have been out, mm -hmm. as they say. So did they meet then? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't have anything at that time. Um, I mean, she definitely had some pseudo stuff. Like there were some interest. Right. But. She wasn't really picking up on any of them. Yeah, and then we also have her friends, right? Julia Scott, Eliza Sadler, and Catherine Duplex that are her friends. They say lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. Well, all of them essentially married merchants. Uh, you know, I think uh, Julia Scott's husband was in politics, but Eliza um, Sadler's husband was definitely a merchant, and Catherine Duplex's husband was a sea captain. So if she was friends with them when she was 16 and Eliza and Julia Scott were older, they were married, young married women. Then there's another possibility <laughs> of somehow maybe through right. them. The parties she was attending would have been the parties, she, I believe, of the merchants, not the doctors. Doctors. Because so she somehow got introduced. Yeah. And wow. and so things move quickly for William. Um, he he does go back to Europe again. Well, not to interrupt you, Lisa, but we're running out of time for a second. Okay. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. We're going to come back up with another part two. Yeah. Okay. So welcome back to part two. Yeah. So really, Mickey Seaton. So, so sorry, like, we had a quick take a minor break. Um, been a busy work day, but we're getting this done. Right. And um, we were leaving it off at... The mystery of how they met. <laughs> okay, so so we have a couple of theories of how they met. Was it when she, you know she was living with her mm -hmm. uncle, who is had his feet in the merchant world? It could very and she's becoming of age, was able to go to balls and stuff. Or is it her close friends whose husbands or significant others are also in the merchant world? That they, those are indicators that. Maybe this is how they met, even though we really don't know. Right. We don't know. But they were three friends that stay friends with her even after she converts to Catholicism. And um, like Eliza Sadler, especially, she liked to go to balls and party, really. And so she would drag Elizabeth with her, even though Elizabeth wasn't as in tune as you were saying earlier to that. Like that wasn't really what she wanted to do. But so it could have been there maybe very likely there. So, so William is home, but then he leaves again. He goes back to England very shortly after that with his, um, his brother. But then there's this, this thing that depending on which source you read, there was a letter that William wrote to his brother, James saying that people believe he is to be married to 
one source says Mary Hoffman, another source says Elizabeth. And he basically is like, I'm not marrying anyone. Yeah. Um, so, but it turns out, well, people believe that he was talking about Mary Hoffman. What's interesting is James gets this letter saying that his brother's not going to marry Mary Hoffman. And then very shortly, he's engaged to her and he's going to get married to her. So William comes back in April of um, 1792, I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, to um, attend his brother James's wedding. Okay. So he's back. His stepmother, who he was very close to, Anna Maria, um, dies that summer. So he's around and he's Mary home. McGee is yeah, around. he's okay. around. Oh. And then the next thing we know, they're courting by 1793. And then, um, wasn't it in Catherine O'Donnell's book? Or perhaps maybe it was in collective writing. I feel like Elizabeth knew that there were other ladies also interested in William McGee or that, you know, had William McGee's eye. Yeah, it and seems it's sort way. of like she was sort of like, you know, whatever, but at the same time she like was fighting for him. Yeah. I felt like. So I mean he was quite a catch, I think. Yeah. For well, today probably too, but for girls <laughs> at that time who were not expected to work. I mean, they needed to marry well. And so um Joseph Durbin, who's written things on Elizabeth, biographies on Elizabeth. He writes that William McGee was handsome, charming, mature, with the firsthand knowledge of the great mysteries of the world. He was in the first circle of New York society, a man of wealth. He was good-humored, kind, tender, alive with energy and a zest for youth. He liked to have a good time. Um, and we've already talked about how he liked to attend balls and concerts. He was well-read. He could play music beautifully. Um, so what was there not to like? Yeah. <laughs> um, so how he ended up with Elizabeth, who she wasn't poor by any means, mm -hmm. but and she was educated, but she wasn't worldly. And she wasn't someone who was the center of attention or had that personality, that bubbly personality. Now, people say that she was quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. So it is still too like what attracted them, something about her he was very attracted to. Wow. Um, I mean, and I think, I think like, even as you move on in her story, there were so many people that was attracted to Elizabeth. Yeah. You know, they, like, even when she was beginning to leave the consecrated life, there was writings that, you know, somebody said, oh, you should join this woman whose name is Elizabeth Antietam. This is where she's going to start. And once she's there with her, and the women are like, okay. And they leave their <laughs> home. I mean, I don't mean to say no, it's it like true. that. But they leave it's their true. home and they just join her here in Emmitsburg. They didn't right. really know her. They they just taking it right. off a word of a priest that told them where to go. Yeah. And they did and they went and they followed her. Right. And what's so interesting so, is that William seemed to have that too, where he yeah. had people that wanted to be in his circle, that wanted to be around him. And he was so like fun loving and they both were someone remember when he's going through bankruptcy and he's got all of this stress on him and what does he look forward to coming home being with his wife and children climbing all over him i mean he he just loved being a husband and being around her now i think maybe part of the attraction was that she wasn't following him around and you know yeah. what i mean and she didn't sort him out and like 
like follow him and and pledge her love to him maybe that was part of the it seems like know. they were almost equal yeah because even when they got married and um and they go into bankruptcy right but prior to that when she was trying to help her husband with the shipping company and being the bookkeeper and all that it was like she earned his respect oh yeah they were in it together yeah they were in it together there was a partnership there yeah but i do like those letters that you were talking about where she would write him these little notes about well if you want to see me you better be here at this time Time. (laughs) (laughs) you know and so she had that confidence like she didn't feel in competition with other women and i think she she should have like you would think that she would have but she didn't and and maybe that was part of the draw that she was very confident in herself and and did feel like she was his equal and had something to give so the the thing i wanted to kind of end with was a letter from her father-in-law william we're gonna end our bed <laughs> i know it was very quick oh, the second part was very quick. okay but you know what granted i think maybe we should end it like there's definitely more to go in about this story but we're really just looking at their love their marriage leave it at that yeah i'm not worried about the tragedy although i do think that their time in the lazaretto where elizabeth really nurtured him spiritually is so much more beautiful and i'm kind of curious though had should had william mcgee lived would he have been able to keep growing in his spirituality and would the Catholic Church still have been an appeal for everything they've just gone through. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know I mean, maybe his story was in that Lazaretto where he himself admits that he would rather be nowhere else mm-hmm. because of, of their closeness. I mean, he loved her more than anything in the world and he yeah. didn't want to be with anyone else when he was dying but her. Mm-hmm. And he totally trusted what she was saying to him. You know, they just had this connection that was so solid. And as we said earlier, you can see where God used him to get her to where he needed her to be. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so he used him to get her where she needed to be. And that had to include his death. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah. For her to really be fully more open to diving for eternity right, and right. the gift of eternity right because eternity is not here right right you know so okay uh, i try so hard not to end <laughs> on more of a sad note well the then i'll read story, this letter okay, so so what what i like about this is that it's from her father-in-law who we know adored her mm-hmm. um and he shares with her letters so that this is elizabeth's father-in-law, father-in-law william mcgee william mcgee's Mc- Mc- father yes because she did have a close relationship to William Seaton, right, her father-in-law. Yes, um, and it makes sense because she had longed for a good relationship with her own father, and William McGee was fortunate enough to have grown up in a good relationship with his own. Yeah, I mean, father. he adored her. Everyone in the yeah. Seaton family did, except for James for a while. But then okay. James does come to, to love come her too. Eventually. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to the he's sharing with her. You know, people thought of letters differently than we do today. They kept mm-hmm. journals. They kept letters. Um, and so he shares with her letters that he had sent to his mother um, in England. And he says, my dear Eliza. So I think the whole Seton family called her Eliza. Eliza. Um, I found the book of my mother's, which William wished to send to you. And with it, I found certain letters preserving by the person to whom they were addressed. 
I trust from the fondest affection to the person by whom they were written. So that's kind of a mouthful. He doesn't say who he's talking about, but he's basically talking about, I found within this book letters that I wrote to my mother and I'm trusting you not to share them. Okay. You know, um, <laughs> the parental affection I have ever felt for my dear William, your husband, you will find strongly marked in every letter. This will give you pleasure. But when I add that this affection has increased ever since, I think every page where I mention him will be doubly dear to you, that you may long, very long, enjoy ever blessing together is the sincere prayer of your affectionate and fond father. I, <laughs> I mean, it's just so sweet and to know that it ended so early is kind of bittersweet. Um, and just that he just loved both of them so much and he wanted them to have this happy, wonderful marriage. Right. And it's so much what Elizabeth deserved after right. the kind of family she grew up in mm -hmm. to have this family for even, even though it was a short time. And it really, you really understand now why Harriet, Cecilia, Rebecca, all of his siblings meant so much to her. Right. Like they became her family. Yeah. yeah. And I think that even though, the father-in-law wished them a very long, long, enjoyable, what is it? I'm sorry, that you yeah. mean long, very long, enjoy every blessing together. I think that they really did. They did. They did. Like always, even though we were short, right. they really did. Enjoy well, and like we were together. seeing, even the midst. And they were blessed together. Yeah. And in the midst of this bankruptcy, he's thrilled to come home to her and the children. They, they saw this as blessings. They saw it that he didn't have to go to debtor's prison as a blessing. Like they looked at everything as a blessing yeah. instead of a hardship, even being in the Lazaretto. <laughs> True, yeah, they yeah. did. So in a lot of ways he was her rock. Yeah. Well, I hope okay. that everybody has a wonderful month, Valentine month, yeah. even though I've always told my husband that every day should be Valentine's Day. <laughs> It shouldn't just be one specific day that I get flowers yeah. and so yeah and so on that note uh next time we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to talk about um one of william's younger brothers sam seaton because he was a romantic and oh, yeah. i just thought it would be fun to do him because he was a romantic <laughs> all right we're going to be on the lookout for the next one <laughs>